So look, we're in for a treat here, ladies and gentlemen. Michael McQueen understands exactly what it takes to thrive in a rapidly evolving world. Widely recognised uh, for having his finger on the pulse of business and culture, he's helped some of the world's best-known brands navigate change and stay ahead of the curve. Michael is a best-selling author of nine books and features regularly as a commentator on TV and radio. His work is featured in publications ranging from the UK Daily Mail to Medium.com and the Huffington Post. Having presented to over 500,000 people across five continents since 2004, Michael is a familiar face on the international conference circuit, having shared the stage with the likes of Bill Gates, Dr John Maxwell and Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Michael McQueen. Thank you so much, Mark, for a generous introduction. And thank you to um, Kate and Nathan for the chance to spend just a couple of minutes with you together this morning as we, I guess, turn our attention to the future. Like, what's the next few years likely to hold? And I love that we've already heard a bit about the past, you know, the last few years, everything we've just gone through. But how does that set the scene for sort of what's going to come next? So we've only got a really short space of time. You probably figured out if you're like a detail person that we're already running late on the program. That's just how these things roll. Hey, so I want to make sure we move really quick. We'll try and leave some time for Q&A at the end. We'll see how we go. Um, but before we start, I want to ask two really quick questions this morning. First question, show of hands. Um, if, hands up if you've ever endured a boring or irrelevant presentation at a conference before. Hands up if you've experienced that just out of curiosity. Almost all of you, pretty much unanimous. Okay, second question, be honest. Hands up if you were the one delivering that boring or irrelevant presentation at the time. A few of you are honest. Awesome. My commitment to you is the coming few minutes will be neither of those two things. I'm boring. I'm not irrelevant. It's going to be a couple of things practical. It's going to be honest. Let's speak to what's actually going on in the sector and in the board more broadly, not just like dance around things. But it's going to be a bit of fun. I think fun is often underrated at most of the conferences and gatherings. So just to get our heads in the zone to think about the future this morning, let's have a little bit of fun. I want to play a quick game with you this morning. This is a game I'm going to call Bizarre Trends Trivia. Now, who are the trivia buffs here? Who loves a good trivia night? Anyone? Okay, well, you'll be well placed in the next few moments. If you want, I want to look really closely in a few seconds at an image. I'm going to put up on the screen here behind me. This is an image of, and I use this term loosely, a range of fashion knitwear, okay, that was released a few months ago by a designer in Italy. So have a look at this range of fashion knitwear up on the screen here. Have a look at the colour, have a look at the texture of this fabric. And here's the trivia question I'd like to ask you this morning, okay, you ready? The question is this one here. What do you reckon the designer's stated goal was in releasing this particular range of knitwear? Okay, was it A, multiple choice, to revive the glory days of the 1980s? Was it a nostalgia play? Was it to B, use up excess coloured wool? Okay, was it to C, commit a fashion police offence? Or was it to D, trick facial recognition cameras? Okay, let's do a bit of a vote here this morning, a bit of a poll. Who reckons it might have been A? Who thinks it was a nostalgia play here? Okay, a lot of votes for A. Interesting. Okay, who reckons it was B, just to use that wall? The pragmatists. I love that. Look at that. Okay, what about C, commit a fashion police offence? Okay, a few of you. I reckon they did, whether they meant to or not. Okay, right. What about D, two trick facial recognition cameras? Okay, quite an even spread here. Some of you will be stunned to learn this. The correct answer is actually D. See, what this fabric does is it acts like a cloaking device, essentially. If you're walking through a public area and, hey, we're in a casino where I would almost guarantee facial recognition technology is built into the surveillance system of this facility, right? If you're walking through the halls after the event, 
during the lunch breaks, for instance, if you're wearing this fabric, it actually tricks the algorithm in facial recognition cameras into thinking you are a giraffe or a zebra. Okay, so this is actually what it looks like when these cameras look at you if you're wearing this fabric. Now, before you get too excited with the idea that dressing up as an animal is a win for human privacy, what you may be also interested to learn, some of you may already know this, but a lot of people are unaware, is that we're seeing that animals themselves are not safe from this sort of technology. In fact, working with a whole lot of farmers back in Australia over the last few months, the number of big stock stations that are using facial recognition on farms right now to track cattle as they roam around these huge properties. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary how fast this is moving. And I think an example like this, what it underscores, is something that we all, we all sense, we all know, which is that the world is moving much faster than most of us would like. I mean, that, that sense of things changing at an exponential rate is, is overwhelming for all of us, I think, at different times. And so the challenge is this, in such a time of rapid change, how do we make sure as an industry and as providers that you're staying relevant, you're staying one, head, one step ahead of those changes? And if we're going to do that, my encouragement right now is what we've got to be doing, if we're going to sort of future-proof ourselves and the industry, is to be focusing on tides and not waves. Now, just to unpack this for a moment, I often use this as a metaphor to describe the type of trends we've got to be really dialing into as opposed to the fads that come and go. If you've been around the industry for more than six minutes, you've seen some fads over the years, haven't you? They, you know, those things you've heard about at conferences like this that are going to be like the game changer. And then two years later, you're like, where'd that thing ever get to? Nothing ever came of that. It was a fad. It was like a wave at the beach. And you think about it by its nature, a wave is loud and exciting, but a wave crashes ashore and then it retreats. It doesn't leave a permanent mark. And we've got to be super careful not to jump at every fad that comes through, every wave that crashes ashore for the industry. But in contrast, think about a tide. A tide by its nature is silent. It is slower moving. It's actually easy to miss the change of the tides, not even notice that it's happening if you don't know where to look. But over time, a changing tide will reshape the entire coastline. And so for the industry, if you look at the next three to five years, what are those tidal trends that we cannot afford to get caught off guard by? And we could spend a few hours looking at this very theme this morning, but I'll look just quickly at two. Two tides that will shape the next few years. And as we go through this, if I want to write some notes, because we'll move relatively quickly here. And my question will be, from your standpoint, which of these do you think will be biggest over the coming couple of years? I have a hunch as to what you'll probably say, okay? But the first tidal trend is gonna be around the acceleration of things like machine learning and artificial intelligence. And hey, we've heard a stack about this over the last eight to 10 months, and we'll touch on why this is such a significant flashpoint. In fact, yesterday in Australia, the Labor government in Australia released one of the first reports of its kind in the Western world, looking at enshrining worker rights as AI continues to disrupt industries. Because we're gonna see probably in the next seven years, what we saw happen in the space of about 70 years when the Industrial Revolution first started kicking off. So like, it is an incredibly significant time we are living through and about to enter into. And a lot of my time is spent looking at different industries that are grappling with this sort of technology. I mean, we can look at so many examples. One that I've been tracking for a number of years now is the automotive industry. Like what happens, for instance, when our cars start to get driven by artificial intelligence instead of us as human beings. Now, I don't know how many of you find the whole idea of a driverless car still moderately terrifying. Hands up if you do, come on, a lot of us do. Like the whole notion is just a bit, bit of a freaky thing. The interesting thing is this actually, this technology is closer to becoming a reality than most of us realise. If I was a little while back, I had the chance to spend a chunk of time in Silicon Valley 
watching this technology in action. And I was stunned at how clever it was, how intuitive it was. And it was interesting, this was in late 2019, just before the pandemic hit. And you know, I was amazed where the technology was up to, but you talk to the peeps at Google and they're like, the reality is this is not gonna be on public roads for at least another nine, 10, maybe 12 years. Why? Because lawmakers are nervous. Like we're talking sphincter tightening nervousness, right? About letting driverless cars on the road with human drivers. It gets messy. But I'm watching this technology in action being developed by Waymo, which is Google's driverless car spin-off. I was amazed. But again, regulators, very nervous, and yet that changed in the middle of the pandemic, and most of us have no idea. That nervousness almost evaporated. In fact, in late 2020, we saw lawmakers in the US change the rules to allow a fully autonomous ride-sharing service to start operating in Phoenix, Arizona. There are now four cities in the US where these sorts of services, robo-taxis they're called, are operating right now. In fact, I want to show you a video in a few moments of what it's like to get into a vehicle that no one is behind the steering wheel of. Okay, and some of you already look nervous before I even show you this video, okay? But as I show you this next little clip, this is happening right now. This is not science fiction, this is actually happening as we speak. I want you to pop yourself in the car. Imagine what it feels like to be in a vehicle that no one's driving. Okay, let's have a quick look up here on the screen. Check it out. We caught up with Chris Ludwig with Waymo in downtown Phoenix. I'm gonna, I just opened the Waymo One app. I'm gonna request a ride for us. It's gonna pick us up right here. He told us starting today, anyone who has the Waymo One app can request one of their fully autonomous Jaguar I-Paces in the downtown area. And here it comes. Let's start right now. It's kind of unusual at first to see no one in the driver's seat and the steering wheel moving as if it is being driven by someone. Riding in the future, self-driving cars are becoming more popular and more advanced and he says safety is always their top concern. Now, I love the, the comment there from the reporter. It's kind of unusual to see a car that no one's driving. Like, yeah, you reckon? I, mean, I think deeply unsettling would be better words to use. I mean, just out of curiosity, who'd get into this car right now if we put up at the front? Who'd be like, bring it on? Look at some of you are so bold, I love this. Okay, you might be like, yeah, I'd get into a car that no one's behind the steering wheel of. What about this? Would you get into a driverless vehicle that actually doesn't have a steering wheel? Because that's where we're heading next. So Cruise, which was one of Waymo's main competitors looking to roll out a fleet of vehicles, no steering wheel, and guess what? No brake pedal, just for good measure, right? So this stuff is moving super fast. They're working with the automakers right now. Many of them are my clients. You know, the conversations for them are conversations like, how does, uh, how does our behavior as consumers change in vehicles when we haven't got to concentrate on driving them? anymore. In fact, this question was asked of a bunch of consumers a little while back, you know, what are you going to spend your time in a driverless car doing? Five things came to the top of the list where people were asked this question. I want to give you 20 seconds of the person next to you. You have to guess one of the top five things people said when asked this question. What would your best guess be? Okay, 20 seconds, person next to you, go for it. Alright, five seconds to go. Five, four, three, two, and one. Alright, who's brave enough to share? What do you reckon we'll be doing in our cars and we're not driving them anymore? What do you reckon was on this list? What did you say? Yeah. Uh, spending more time on our phones. 
spending yeah. more time on our phones, like, and that was sort of related to definitely one of the top five, and doing it legally, because it happens now, doesn't it, but actually doing that legally, so thank you, yes, so that was one of the top five related to it. Any other guesses what was on this top five Sleeping. list? Sleeping. Sleeping, well done, was one of the top five, okay? But firstly, can you imagine the level of trust required just to drift <laughs> off to sleep as you're hurtling down the freeway? But yes, well done, one of the top five. Any other guesses what was on this list of the top five things? Why don't you see from one more person, what did you say? Eating, so eating was again one of the top five, well done. So you've guessed a lot of the list. Here is the top five list of what we're spending our times doing. So number one, being entertained, watching TV, movies on our phones. Number two, doing work, catching up on email. Number three was having a sleep, well done. Number four was eating and drinking. Number five surprised me, but it surprises me how often this one actually comes up as I'm working with audiences. In fact, I was doing some work with a group of primary school principals recently. One of the dirty buggers, the first thing he said when I asked him to do that exercise was he came up with number five. He used different language to what the researchers came back with. They came back with this word, he, which right? <laughs> would make the morning commute more interesting, okay, but awkward. <laughs> if you put up next to a car, well, that's all going down, okay, right? But if you think about just how this, this is one use of AI, just in the automotive industry, how that starts to change the game in some really interesting ways. Anything more close to home in terms of this industry? How do we see some of this sort of technology playing out? And we're seeing a lot of this happen already with robotics. And we're speaking at the equivalent event of this last year in Melbourne, in Australia. I was stunned at how much focus on robotics and automation there was. We had robots during the morning tea break roaming around, serving everyone coffee and tea. And I was just, it was an extraordinary experience just to see that in action. And we have seen, not just in the industry in New Zealand and Australia, but globally, such a focus in the last few years on using AI and robotics in the industry by the way, quick aside, in a way that no one outside the industry could imagine. I mean, most people see the industry as still an industry that's you know, not particularly sophisticated technically, maybe a whole lot of blood and gore and mess. They have no idea exactly what happens in the industry. That's half the challenge, by the way, of attracting staff to the sector. But if you look at what's happening from an, automotive, from an automation space, you look at an example of what Tyson have done over the last 12 to 14 months in terms of automation in their factories. And the key reason they've done this is because they just can't get the staff. Staffing issues are the biggest thing to push them toward using more and more of this AI-powered automation in their facilities. But this is not to say this is going to see humans disappear from roles. And this will pick up on what Lindy shared in the earlier sessions, that we'll see if we use this sort of technology well, it can be a great tool for making it safer for humans to actually do the work. And I love these sorts of examples. In fact, a couple I thought I'd share with you one that I came across recently in some of my client work, now this is a, a big factory operation in Australia. They've started using Tamiki ergonomics, and there's a few companies like this, because what they're finding is they kept having the same repetitive injuries in their staff, and it was costing them an absolute fortune in terms of workers' compensation. So they're now using this, and it's quite a simple tool. You might want to check this out. There are others like it around. You can actually hold up an iPhone and record a worker while they're doing the standard daily procedure. And what it'll do is it'll actually instantly synthesize that using AI to figure out what are the stress points where repeatedly over time injuries are most likely to occur. They're finding on average a 30% drop in workers' compensation claims. And we're not just seeing in terms of monitoring what humans are doing in their natural sort of state, we're also seeing the use of technology actually essentially augmenting what humans are doing. In fact, at that event in Melbourne last year, the industry there, I got the chance to try on an exoskeleton. And I was stunned at just how intuitive that sort of technology was. And again, the data around the number of injuries that is preventing, or at least alleviating, is, is pretty hard to ignore. 
I mean, if we think about AI, I mean, the thing that we've heard most in the last sort of eight to ten months is, is what this means from a generative AI perspective. And if you haven't heard that term, you've probably heard of one of the most famous forms of generative AI, which is, of course, called ChatGPT. And it's not just ChatGPT, it's all of its cousins. What Google are doing with BARD, for instance, is a truly extraordinary right now. Now, how many of you, just out of curiosity, have actually dived in and had a really good go playing around with ChatGPT? Hands up if you have. So probably about 30% of the crowd. That's about normal. I mean, most of us have heard about it. Pretty much everyone's got an opinion on it, but not everyone's actually dived in and had a really good go at this. In fact, homework for you, jump onto openai.com, set up a free profile and start tinkering. You'll be stunned at where this sort of large language model technology is up to right now. This is essentially an AI bot that you can converse with as if it was a human. Ask questions and it spits out information synthesized essentially from the web. It's extraordinary technology. In fact, I want to show you a quick video of what ChatGPT can do, just to give you a sense of the capability of this sort of technology. Let's have a quick look up here on the screen. Check it out. ChatGPT can also help you in the kitchen with recipe suggestions. All you have to do is prompt it with something like, I have some leftover chicken and a can of black beans. Can you suggest a recipe and instructions to make? And it will give you a list of ingredients and instructions to cook up something delicious. This is super useful for people who are trying to be creative in the kitchen and come up with new recipe ideas. How about coding? ChatGPT can do that too. It can help with your coding tasks and provide guidance on programming concepts. Just ask it, what is a loop in programming? And it'll give you a super helpful explanation. But that's not all. ChatGPT can even write code for you. So whether you're just starting out in programming or you're an experienced pro, this is the great tool to help you learn and grow in your career. So this stuff is, is pretty extraordinary. In fact, interestingly, a few months ago, we were just getting our heads around ChatGPT and what it could do and some of the capabilities of this technology. And then an update was released. So if you missed this piece of news, this was incredibly significant. Um, something was released a few months ago called GPT-4. It's basically an upgrade on ChatGPT. It's 10 times more clever. And what's interesting is when GPT-4 was first released, the first thing we got it to do was to sit the bar exam in the US, because for years, every AI model that has been released, that's a bit of a benchmarking tool. If you can sit the bar exam, how does it perform? So here's how different AI models over the last few years have performed in sitting the bar exam in the States. And so where we got to as of March this year was that bar over on the right there. That's where chat GPT in the form that was released late last year, that's where we were up to. And all of us smug humans were saying, well, it's very clever. But it's not as clever as us yet, which was true as of March. In fact, that's how the average human performed. We were doing better than ChatGPT. And then GPT-4 was released. You want to see how clever it is, how it performs in the bar exam? There's the green bar. Significantly better than the average human response. And we could spend, again, an hour looking at what does this mean for the industry? How do we use this, particularly from an admin function perspective? From a marketing perspective, this is tr properly game-changing, but truly every industry I'm working with right now, this is the question that's front of mind, is how do we use these tools to gain greater productivity? Because the gains can be huge if we use them well. In fact, one industry I read about recently that was grappling with this, you'll love this one, apparently the fortune cookie industry is trying to figure out how to use ChatGPT. So I didn't know this, there's only like five companies in the world that make fortune cookies, who knew? I didn't. Um, but apparently half of them are now using ChatGPT to write little fortunes in those cookies Super efficient, but they're having some mixed results so far in terms of the stuff that it's actually producing. <laughs> and I'm, what this underscores is that AI is clever, but it still has to be supervised by humans, okay, if we're smart, right? So that's the first title trend is around the use of AI and machine learning. Number two 
The second title trend is going to be around the, the, the people equation, the next generation that are coming through and what they mean for the industry as future staff, but also future consumers. And I know they've got the consumer sentiment panel happening later on this morning. And I imagine a lot of the things we'll touch on in the next few minutes will be picked up on in that discussion. Because we've spent a lot of time over the years talking about that generation Y or millennial cohort, with good reason. But I've got to tell you, our focus really fast has got to shift to that next group coming through called Generation Z. So firstly, who are we talking about here from a Gen Z standpoint? So typically they're born in the late 90s through to the early 2010s. So I should just check, do we have any Gen Zs in the room here this morning? Any Gen Zs in the house? Awesome, we've got like one or two of you. I've got a few, like four at the back, got the Spanish Inquisition of Gen Zs all the way the back. I love that, excellent. So we had a few Gen Zs in the room. How many of you have got them at home? Anyone get Gen Zs in their families? Right, a few more hands for the Gen Z in your family, Kate. All right, so if we look at this group, what's interesting about Gen Z, they are only 20% of the population, and that certainly holds true for New Zealand and in Australia, but if you look at some of your key trading partners and markets, Indonesia, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, most of the Middle East, we're talking upwards of 42 to 48% of their population are Gen Z. Massively youth-skewing demographics, which is incredibly significant. So if you look at this group from a, from a New Zealand perspective in terms of the economy here, there'll be 25% of retail spending by the year 2030. But if we look at a sort of shorter horizon than that, they're gonna be 27% of the labor market within just a couple of years. And there's some amazingly cool stuff that Gen Z brings to the workforce. There's some great benefits to hiring and managing this group. And if we have time, we'll touch on some of those. But the reality is they are different. How you manage, how you lead Gen Zs needs to be a bit different. In fact, there was a Pew Research study last year which found that uh, for Generation Z, 40% of them would like to receive encouragement or praise from their boss at least three times a week if that's okay. Okay, so for the Gen Zs that are here, thank you for being here. We're very grateful that you are here. I'm a truly like, and for some baby boomers, and particularly Jax, is like, are you serious? Once a year to be thanked at a Christmas party is crazy. You know, like, the sense of needing a lot more encouragement is a bit of a gear shift culturally from, from how different generations are. And of course, why, hey, Gen Z have gone through schools where every runner in the race gets a ribbon. That whole sort of philosophy has permeated their sort of approach to life. It's, it's just a reality we need to address. The last data point will be of no surprise to any parents here. The average Gen Z spends six hours per day on their phones. Now you might be wondering, what are they spending the time on their phones doing? We'll come to that shortly. I'll tell you what they're not doing on their phones, and that's answering them. Um, and if you've got a Gen Z in your world, in your family, for instance, you know this. You call your Gen Zs, they won't answer. They'll text you back and say, what'd you call for? It's like, well, if you answered, you'd know. You know, but there's this a genuine fear of picking up the phone when it comes to Generation Z. They're far more comfortable with email or text message or ideally social media messaging if that's cool. Now, interestingly, they also don't use a whole lot of voicemail. You may have noticed that. You need to know this, by the way, if you're managing more and more of the scripts. So I've got a Gen Z on my team. I rang her recently, and she didn't answer, of course. Um, but when I went to her voicemail, and instead of uh, having a, a welcome message like, hey, you've called Amy, leave a message, it was just like, you have called 0402. I'm like, that's weird. So I, when I finally spoke to her, I said, how come you haven't got a voicemail welcome message? She said, like, none of my friends ever, ever use voicemail. She said, in fact, you love this, she said, the only people who ever leave me voicemails are you and my granddad. I'm like, oh, awesome, I feel very old now. You know, but there's some of the different approaches we've got to get our heads around this stuff, okay? So we look at some of the attitudes of this group, and again, this will probably get picked up on in that consumer sentiment panel shortly. 
And the PM spoke about this um, in the pre-recorded message earlier on. One of the things we asked him with Generation Z is this theme of sustainability is a non-negotiable. It's not a nice to have, not like an aspiration, we should get our ducks in a row, no, no, for them, it's gotta be sorted. For them, it's one of their key defining values and they're voting with their dollars. How they're spending their money is being influenced by this already in some pretty profound ways. In fact, a good indication of how significant this was, a little while back, um, a company that many of you know named Etsy, Etsy shelled out $1.6 billion to buy an app that I'm guessing some of you've never heard of called Depop. Who's never heard of Depop before this moment in your life? Hands up if you haven't. Okay, ask a 16 year old, they'll tell you. So Gen Z love Depop. It's an app they use to buy and sell used fashion and accessories. The thing they call it re-commerce, either recycling commerce or, or having the circular economy. In fact, a study that was released last month found that two in five items in a Gen Z's wardrobe were owned by somebody else before that individual owned them. So this is, this is something that's a, de a defining value in terms of sustainability. Now, what does this mean for the industry here? I mean, it's significant because what we're seeing is a demand around transparency. And this can actually significantly change consumer behaviour. In fact, we saw in Norway, a supermarket chain named Oda, ODA, actually began to list on customer receipts essentially the carbon cost of every item in that receipt. Well, they noticed within seven months of doing this, people were buying less red meat. And so the focus on transparency, people want to know what the carbon cost is, they want to know what the cost environmentally is. And so we need to make sure we, we are approaching this well. We need to be proactive rather than trying to respond when this happens, because we're seeing in parts of Europe right now, it is already shaping consumer behaviour. But if we look at some of the apps that Gen Z are using, we talked about Depop a few moments ago. Here are some of the other apps that over the last 14 months have been um, highly downloaded apps for Generation Z, particularly teenage Gen Zs. Now we've already seen a few of these come off the boil in the last few months. And down one of them, there's called Be Real, is no longer as cool as it was last year. Okay, but in case you're unaware, these are the six apps that were sort of the hot apps over the last 12 months for teenage Gen Zs. And if we just look at TikTok alone, and how significant that is, consider a data point from a few months back, that the average use time for Gen Z on TikTok right now every day, 107 minutes. That's a lot of time on TikTok. Okay, and what's interesting is this is shaping the way that brands and industries are looking to now connect with the next generation. We've got to get our heads around this stuff. In fact, a good example of this, we saw Subway in Australia a few months ago actually shift most of their focus marketing-wise from Instagram to TikTok. And so when they're using Instagram from a marketing perspective, Subway were getting engagement with about 3 or 4% on every ad campaign they released on the social platform. When they swapped to TikTok, the engagement was upwards of 18%. And so this is a game changer in terms of how we engage that next generation consumer. But a good example of what this can mean practically would be the example of this company here. Now most of us wouldn't know this company, it's an iconic apple juice brand over in the US named Martinelli's. Been around for 160 something years. But Martinelli's went viral on TikTok with Gen Z a little while back for a reason that might surprise you. The reason they went viral is because a whole lot of Gen Z's discovered if you bite into the packaging of Martinelli's, it sounds like you're biting into an apple. To which you might think, and that matters because, which is a very reasonable question. But I'm going to show you what went viral on TikTok with Gen Z and then show you the impact this had on Martinelli's as a brand. Okay, let's have a quick look up here on the screen. Check it out. Okay, guys, so we have these apple juice that when you bite the plastic, it's supposed to sound like you're eating an apple. So I'm going to try it. 
Same thing happened last month with McDonald's and their Grimace Shakes. I don't know if you saw this. If you don't know this case study, just Google McDonald's Grimace Shake TikTok. This is massive. So last month, McDonald's released this TikTok for this, this um, berry-flavoured shake to celebrate Grimace's 50-second birthday. Whatever, I don't know why, but they did. Um, this thing went viral on TikTok with a whole lot of Gen Zs who would drink it on TikTok and then cut to the next frame where they pretended it had poisoned them or set them mad. Again, I think people need to find stuff to do with their time, right? But like, this, this took off to the point where in the last quarter, McDonald's had a 3.6% jump in sales accredited to the TikTok Grimace campaign. Like, and it sounds ridiculous, but again, it's something we can't afford to ignore. Now, before we move off this whole theme of generational change, I want to give you a sense of some of the language gens that are using right now, particularly um, emoji by Bocac with this group, okay? Because up on the screen here are six of the common emojis you tend to see Gen Z using. Now, as an old person, when I use these emojis, like the one second from the top there I use if someone's got allergies or the flu or a cold perhaps, the one second from the bottom, that used to be one of my default smiling emojis until I discovered what this means when Gen Z use it. And it wasn't what I thought it meant, okay? So if, you, if you're a parent, this is your cue to take out your phones, to take a photo of the next slide, because I'm going to translate these for you and tell you what they mean when Gen Z use them. Now, get out of your road here. Now, I don't know what that one second from the bottom means, extreme passive aggression, but you really should know that, okay? Otherwise, you could use that emoji and mean one thing, and what they'll perceive is something entirely different. Now, let's press pause here for a second. We've talked about a lot in terms of what's changing and what's coming down the line. Just three quick questions. I'd love to just give you 40 seconds to the person next to you. From what we've covered there in that first session, the first part of the session, what did you find surprising? What did you find confirming? Something like, you know, I've seen that, but I now realise it's a trend. It's not just my own experience. And what did you find exciting from what we talked about in those first few moments there? So those three questions, about 40 seconds of the person next to you. Go for it. Just doing stuff the way we've always done it because it's worked. 
and it's gotten results in the past. And the reality is, as humans, we so often operate on autopilot, just doing things the way we've always done them, and we do this often unknowingly. I'm guessing many of you will be well familiar with this quote here on the screen from Einstein, one of his more famous quotes, that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting to get a different result. Many of us know this, it's almost a cliche, really. But here's the thing. Can I suggest to you, if Einstein was defining insanity today, okay, in 2023, based on just how rapidly things are changing right now, I have a hunch. He would define insanity today the opposite way to what we see on the screen behind me. I can say that today, it's actually, be, it's insane for you to be doing the same thing over and over again, expecting to get the same result. Now, follow me here. What I mean by this is, if you're using the same techniques, the same approaches, the same back-end systems you were using two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, expecting them to be as effective today and moving forward as they've been in the past, you're going to be sorely mistaken. I mean, the pace of change means we can never stand still for long. Like best practice doesn't stay best practice for long. I love that old saying that's so true, the moment you think you've made it, you've passed it. You can never think, hey, we've arrived, we've got the winning formula. And so often we fall into that trap if we're not careful. In fact, just look at how endemic this can be for us just as human beings. I want to play a quick game with you. You may remember this game from school. Remember rock, paper, scissors from school? Uh, remember that rock beats scissors? Okay, scissors beat paper, paper beat rock. So we're going to have a quick game of rock, paper, scissors here this morning. It'll be the best of three rounds. So you need to just have a quick look around you. Try and figure out, just by the look of it, who you reckon you're most likely to beat at rock, paper, scissors? And, uh, and pair up with them. You get a groups of two. Okay, we're going to spend like best of three rounds. So pop your fists out in front of you. Ready for round number one. Okay, are you ready? And... One, two, three. All right, very good. One, two, and one, two, three. All right, this side, round three. Ready, and one, two, three. All right, very good. Okay, those of you who just won in your little pairs, you're going to be the talkers for the next few moments. Those of you who have... Actually, we'll do what happens with Gen Zs in schools. We won't say you lost. You just came second. Okay, so if you just came second, um, you're going to be the listener, but listen carefully because there's going to be a test. All right, so if, you're, if you just won in that little game, if you're the talker, turn to the person you just beat in the space of 25 seconds, describe for them step by step in chronological order the process you go through, every step you go through to get in your car, at home, and drive to the end of your street. Every step you go through to do that. 20 seconds... Go for it! Alright, 10 seconds to go, 10 seconds! Alright, 5 seconds to go please. 5, 4, 3, 2, and 1. Alright, now... If you were the listener just then, I hope you were listening very carefully, because here's your test. All right, in a few moments, I'm going to put up on the screen behind me here a series of nine steps. Have a look through this list of nine steps, or pop your hand up if your partner missed at least one of these steps in the description just then to you. Hands up if I missed at least one of these. Look at that. Who missed all nine of them? Anyone miss all nine? <laughs> There's only a few in every crowd. Now, the reality is, I'm guessing most of you do most of those things every time you drive to the end of your street. The problem is this, that is something you do so often, so unconsciously. When I ask you to make a conscious or explicit to describe to someone sitting next to you, it's actually quite hard to do, isn't it? 
And it's exactly the same in a professional context. We do things the same way so often and for so long, we become blind to the stuff we're doing. In fact, I love this insight from Rosbeth Moss Cantor, who's one of the business lecturers at Harvard. She says that sort of habitual thinking of just going through the motions, that autopilot trap, is the number one enemy of innovation. That's what stops us keeping pace as times and needs evolve. And so the challenge is how do you avoid that autopilot trap? And I've loved looking at case studies of, of organisations I've worked with who've done this beautifully over the years. One of my favourites would be the example of this company here. Now, some of you would know Oricon, they're a global design and engineering firm, big presence here in New Zealand. Um, a few years ago, they got to a point where they realised they were falling behind. You know, they were pitching for work and they were losing out to competitors and the, the, the feedback from potential clients was, we like you guys, we like Oricon, we, we know you do good work, but you're just not creative enough. You're not as innovative as some of the other players in the market. And so the executive team at Oricon knew they had to change things and do it fast. And so they had a couple of ideas of how to turn the culture around, but one of them was just genius. And it was to put in place a thing called the Done Things We Do initiative. And here's what they said to all their staff globally. And so we'd love to hear from you, and you can share this anonymously if you like. What are the things that you think we do as a company that are just a little bit dumb, that don't make sense, that are sort of stuck in the past, that are holding us back? And in the leadership team, they knew there'd be a number of things suggested. I don't think they were quite ready for how many things would be suggested and how readily they would be suggested. So I think within three days, they'd had over 400 ideas suggested as dumb things that the company was doing. And it was actually quite confronting for some of the leaders because you know, a few of those dumb things were things those leaders had implemented eight years ago. And so they had to have the humility to realise maybe it was best practice then, but it's not now. And as the leadership team took this list of hundreds of ideas that have been suggested, they condensed it down to a top 100 list, okay, and um, they, they basically went to the company and said, thanks for engaging in this process, our commitment to you is this, in 100 days we will fix or get rid of every one of these top 100 dumb things we're doing, in 100 days, and they did it. And it radically changed the company. In fact, just from an Aussie perspective alone, they went from being sort of stuck in the past and very tradition down to being rated within three years Australia's most innovative company across every industry category, which for, like, for an engineering firm is unheard of, right? And I was chatting to a guy who was actually the head of that, that faculty who was um, running this, um, this initiative, and he said, that dumb things we do process, it just fundamentally changed the culture of the company. We talked about innovation for years. But until there's a mechanism for doing it, no one was actually taking that seriously. And so there's a value in crowdsourcing ideas for thinking differently and doing things differently. I'd also suggest to you, the best asset any organisation or team has got for fostering innovation is the person in that team who's got the freshest eyes. And it might be someone who you've just hired in the last month or the last two months. They may be brand new to the industry. We've got some Gen Zs in the room often this. I mean, Gen Z are brilliant for this. They, they have to bring that sense of optimism and curiosity to workplaces with them. They ask questions like, why, why do we do it that way? Why do we do it at all? Those, those are powerful questions if we respond well. And the beauty of people with fresh eyes is they'll have no trouble thinking outside the box because they don't even know what the box looks like at this point. I love this student's exam response as a case in point. Um, now, <laughs> school teachers will tell you, this is not called fresh eyes, it's called smart eyes. Okay? Now, it does make the point of just seeing things all the experts have missed. And one of my favourite examples of how fresh eyes in bringing about innovation was an example from a few years ago. I was doing some work with a group of local government leaders in Queensland, back home in Australia, and 
You know, at this event, they were all people who headed up different departments at large councils. There's this one guy I was chatting to during the lunch break, and he said that had this very experience in the previous 12 months of someone coming into council on staff with fresh eyes and ushering through some pretty significant innovation. Because this guy rocked up, um, and he was working as part of the asset management department at council. So asset management managers all the stuff, basically, they're using in council facilities. And um, this young guy turns up on the team, fresh out of university, and he notices something that he, he thinks is a bit odd. What he notices is that council are using all these assets, all these things, and they've been using them for years but paying monthly rental costs rather than buying and depreciating them. And so this young guy was just curious. We started running a few numbers on a few of the assets in their asset registry. So one of them was a series of box trailers. So the average box trailer they had been renting for in excess of 13 or 14 years, paying monthly rental costs on. They'd spent about 24 grand per trailer renting them. They, they cost about six grand to buy outright. He's like, seriously, what's the deal? Why are we doing this? So he starts to dig a little bit further and he found there was a whole fleet of pedestal fans that they were using in council facilities. The average pedestal fan they spent five and a half grand renting. That costs like 260 bucks to buy from the hardware store. And he's like, what's the go? So he goes to his boss, who's the guy I'm chatting to at this conference, and asks why. And this guy said, he said, at first I was quite, I almost thought it was a bit rude. I was a young punk coming in and challenging the way we did things. And he said, but I realised it was a good question, and there wasn't really a good answer as to why we did that. He said, when I turned up here at Council years ago, that's just the way it was done. So we'd improved the system, it basically kept the system intact. And so I said, we decided to think about how we might innovate. Now, if you know anything about local government, that was code for forming a steering reference group and three different committees to discuss the issues, okay? <laughs> Seven months later, they decided to do something really bold, and they moved away from a rental model to a buy and appreciate model, right? But this guy, at this point, he sort of started speaking quite softly, he leaves and he said, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you how much money we are saving ratepayers. It is a fortune. He said, I can't believe we didn't see it. Like, it was so obvious once it was pointed out. He said, but the reality is we were just, we were just too close to it. When I heard that story, it reminded me of this great quote by Wayne Dyer, who said, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. That's the benefit of people with fresh eyes coming into a team. They just see stuff differently. And that can be such a gift if we respond well. I'm mindful of the clock. What I'll do before we wrap up is I'll just pop my details up on the screen. Um, but feel free to reach out. Um, that QR code is for my LinkedIn profile. So if you spend any time on LinkedIn, do connect there. Every morning at about 8.45 Sydney time, I'll do a daily update. And it's whatever I've seen come through overnight. So any new technology announcements, any new data that has come to light. So if you want to stay on top of this stuff, it's moving pretty fast, feel free to connect on LinkedIn. Just keep an eye out each morning and see that pop up. There's all a whole lot of stuff on the website too if that's helpful just in terms of blog posts and articles and book reviews and stuff. Um, but as we do finish up and I'll hand back to Mike, I just want to leave you with a quote this morning. What I love about this particular quote um, is that I reckon it's never been more relevant, this quote, but it's actually 2,600 years old, which is old in anyone's books really. It's a quote from the great Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu, who was famous for saying this. He said, resisting change it's like trying to hold your breath, okay? Even if you are successful, it's not going to end well. Um, and that would be my encouragement, is that I get it. The pace of change can be overwhelming. Often we want to fight it, we want to ignore it, potentially. But all, the only smart option is to embrace it and adapt. So I hope that's been helpful. Thank you so much again, and enjoy the rest of your day.
Thank you, Michael. A brilliant presentation. The future truly is here now. We've got time for one question. Just to remind you, we're using Slido. Um, so scan that QR code in your booklet or, or, or scan the QR code on screen. And we've got a couple of, one question come through. Yeah. The generation gap. Yeah. How do, you, how do you address the fact that the older generation are struggling with this change? How do you bring them into the picture and bridge the gap between them and the millennials and Gen Zs? Well, first, there's nothing new, is it? I mean, you go, I think it was Socrates had this quote back in 400 BC that the youth of today are disrespectful and don't know their place. I mean, we've always had that gap between generations. But then the thing is, it's, it, it's getting wider in many cases because technology has widened it. We're all in our silos now. Um, and I think that's, that's a challenge for society broadly. Like the polarisation of what happens with, when echo chambers online form. It's all of the technologies different generations use become echo chambers. So you only ever see content from people like you, who are your age, your background. So the first thing I would say is we need to try and break as many of those silos down. And so try and have enough people in your immediate sphere who are from different backgrounds and generations and approach it with a posture of openness, just willing to learn. And the challenge is you look at your world and how much time do you spend with people who look like you, educated the same way as you, your age, your interests, and we all, I mean, it's just natural human nature. Birds of a feather flock together. We like being with people like us, but that's one of the biggest dangers. So try and deliberately orchestrate your life so you've got people around you who don't think the same way, who are from a different generation. One of the most beautiful things I've seen with many of my clients is a thing called reverse mentoring, which is where you pair an established staff member up with someone who's brand new, and there's mentoring that goes from older down, like wisdom and experience, but there's also wisdom that gets passed up. Because you've got a younger generation who are like, they know how to use the technology, they'll teach you. If you ask, if you're open, if you're humble enough to be, to be willing to learn. So I think trying to break down the silos, but also reverse mentoring is a really good model for trying to bridge those gaps. Fantastic. Michael's going to be here for a while, so um, he'll be very happy to answer other questions you might have, I'm sure, before he hops into his driverless car. Thank you again, Mike. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.